Several weeks ago, now, Kyle and I were meeting, uh, actually we were going to meet with Jacob and Fatima, but Jacob was a no-show. That sounds really bad. He got called into a meeting at the last minute and so bailed on, on Fatima and had her ha- have to have lunch with Kyla and me, just herself. But we had a great time. I, at least I had a great time. I'm speaking for Fatima now. But um, in, in, we were standing there getting ready to order our burritos and uh, suddenly I was kind of confronted by a man and I, I, know th- I knew that I knew this man. And I recognized him pretty quickly as being the father of, of a son who was on one of my son's basketball teams a couple of years ago. I knew that I knew him. I also knew that I didn't know his name. And so uh, it was kind of a hey guy moment, you know. <laughs> Buddy, pal, how you doing? Uh, we began to have some small chit-chat conversation. I did kind of tie in a little bit with, you know, how's your son? You know, kind of this little bit of the stuff of what I knew of the family. Then he asked me a question <clears throat> that I had no idea the answer to. And, and I, had, I had no idea the topic of which he spoke. It was something along the lines of, did you get the permit or did you guys get the, uh, you know, how's the zoning on that issue? And... I looked at him, and I tried to play it off. You know, I was like, no, I don't know. (laughs) No, no. And he's looking at me, and obviously it was a significant issue. And he said, what do you mean you don't know? I said, well, I don't know, you know. (laughs) He said, well, you got to know. And he looked at me, and he kind of did a double take, and he goes, "You're, you're James, right? And I said, yeah, I'm James, but he goes, James Sutherland? I said, no, that is the issue here. I am not who you think I am. I'm James Kinsler. Your son was on our basketball team. Let me piece it back together for you. And, and it kind of, the, the haze started to kind of, the fog started to go away, and he, and he felt really silly, of course, in that moment. Uh, and and finally, we, you know, we were able to put it back together. He thought I was somebody else that works for the city, or I, I don't know what it was. And uh, we were able to put it, but it was a classic case of mistaken identity. Have any of you ever been mistaken for somebody else? This has actually happened to, to me a couple of times. There's, there's some other, you know, doppelgangers, I guess, uh, that... Uh, that I look like, or that look like me, that, that uh, I actually almost put the picture up, there's a, the, the, one of my good friends actually uh, is a pastor, actually he's the president of the seminary now, a guy named David Busick, and we're often confused at Nazarene kind of functions, in fact I was at a conference a couple summers ago, and, and uh, he used to pastor in Oklahoma, and, and a guy came up to me and he said, hey, what are you doing here? I said, it was, the conference is in San Diego, and I said, well, I, you know, I'm Thought I'd come. It's a pastor's conference <laughs> in San Diego. <laughs> and he goes, long way from Oklahoma. <laughs> oh, I think I know. And I didn't re- correct him, but a few minutes later, he walks past me, the same guy. James, I'm so sorry. I thought you were David. I can't believe I did that. I said, don't worry. It's been done by lots of folks. 
mistaken identity. It, you know, it happens maybe to lots of us at different places, and um, it's, it's awkward, but we do our best with it. Well, we're continuing our series on, on the Missio Day, the mission of God. And today I want to talk about a case of mistaken identity. Um, but this time, it's not a case of mistaking one person for another. It's actually, you can believe it, it's actually much more serious than that. Instead, I want us to think about the danger of mistaking a version of the Christian faith. In particular, one that has been shaped by um, our, our society's values of individualism and materialism and nationalism, this, this kind of civic religion that so many of us have kind of bought into, the, the, mis, the, uh, the mistaken identity of, of, of seeing that versus an authentic biblical faith that is shaped by, by God's kingdom, by, by the Bible. And, and the, the challenge that we have in making sure that we don't mistake this one for that one. For those of us, for those of you who are just joining in on the conversation today, we've been talking essentially about what a church will look like that is moving towards being a part of God's mission. We've been saying that God's mission is, is not just another activity for the church, but it's actually an attribute of who He is. It's a part of His nature, it's a part of His character. And when we as God's people align with who He is, we too get caught up into his mission, get caught up into his purposes and what he is doing in the world. One writer that I read this week speaks of how God has a dream for the world. And uh, I, I'm going to guess that Martin Luther King got his idea from God and not the other way around. But, uh, but Martin Luther King had a dream. God has a dream for the world. This writer says his dream is about the redemption of all of creation. It's not just about getting individuals into heaven. It is about the restoration of all of life as God intended it to be from the beginning. Life being realigned around God and around God's ways and purposes. This is the dream that God invites the church, the people of God, to dream along with Him. This is the dream that we get to dream. It's the dream that God actually invites us not only to dream, but to embody. It's a dream that God invites us to flesh out in the way that we live and operate together as the people of God. And so we've talked about how we're to think of ourselves as not just a church, and less as a church that is um, that's sending others, but as a church that is being sent ourselves. And we've thought about what it is to move away from kind of this consumer-oriented approach to faith and, and really towards this approach that is intent on, on making disciples. And we've talked about this idea just last week, if you weren't here, this idea of, of moving away from a focus on the individual, what are my needs, to a focus on the community. This is what the, the church that's in mission with God will be centered on. What, what is it about the community of faith that we need to be thinking about? And today, again, we want to think about the importance for the church in mission with God to be moving, and kind of catch this if you can. I'll talk about it a little bit more, but moving from this sort of culturally defined 
surface level faith to one that's designed by and then lived out under, really, the reign and the rule of of God. Uh, We've been meditating on this passage of Scripture from Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bible, I'd love to have you turn there. Uh, We haven't really been doing as much of a verse-by-verse analysis of this passage of Scripture as much as we've just kind of been using it as a backdrop to soak in and to kind of meditate upon and to allow it to be that which kind of uh, surrounds and holds all that we're talking about. So I want to read it to us again. And, and, and again, not so much a, a verse-by-verse analysis, but, but how is this passage impacting us? How is it touching us? How is the truth that's being revealed here uh, uh, reaching to the deepest parts of who we are. So would you stand with me as I read this again? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Again, if you you have your Bible, just invite you to kind of keep it open. Again, you might just refer down to it, kind of look at it from time to time here this morning. It's this... um, It's this beautiful Christ hymn, as it's called. This hymn of Christ. This soaring chorus of of worship that summarizes for us, again as we've been saying, not only what Jesus accomplished for us, but how Jesus accomplished this for us. And the manner that He has given to us, the example that He has given to us for how we are then to move into the world in mission. Now, another metaphor that might help us to think about this move from a culturally acceptable faith to a a more robust expression of faith comes, as you may have guessed, from my trip with my daughter and her class, Uh, few weeks ago, um, you're wondering how many sermon illustrations can he squeeze out of a three-day trip to Catalina Island? Well, the answer is at least one more. Uh, as you know, we went uh, on this trip, and I think I have a, a, a picture um, of, of us out on the boat. Is that right? Nope, the one before that? There you go. Gave away my punchline there. That's all right. Um, but uh, oh, this is on the way over. This is as we're approaching Catalina. And uh, this, by this time, uh, several kids had lost their breakfast. 
And uh, so that was good. We are moving past that point of the boat journey. I hope nobody's getting sick right now as I speak, uh, looking at the waters. But uh, this is our view, and, and that was me up on the top, because I'm one of those folks who doesn't necessarily love to be on the waves. But we were out, and we were able to see the surface of the water, and uh, just really enjoying that. From this vantage point, you can't see uh, really much of anything that's going on below it, just the swells rolling by. There was a point at which, I think it was called a fin whale. Is that right, Kate? Do you remember? Is that the name of it? A fin, I think the fin whale uh, showed itself to us, and the boat stopped, and so we got to see a, a whale out there on our way across, and that was kind of fun, and gave us some indication of, you know, that there was something going on below the surface, something deeper and something happening below this expanse, this great surface of the ocean. Um, so this was good. But then go to the next one. Uh, uh, soon into our trip, uh, we got to don the snorkeling gear. We look pretty good there, don't we, Katie? I didn't really ask her permission to show this photo, but I think I look stupider. So <laughs> that sillier is the better word. You don't look silly at all. I, myself, I'm not so sure. Um, but we got to don the snorkeling gear and, and go snorkeling. And if you've never been snorkeling, this is an amazing just thrill. I mean, it's exciting. I've done it several times before, but this was just another great time and fun to do it with my daughter. And uh, what we found and what you know is that you can see really nothing on the surface, but as soon as you dive under with your mask and with your air snorkel, thank you, um, you can see things that you never knew were there before. And in just the little harbor where we were on Catalina, we were able to see all sorts of fish. How many of you have snorkeled at Catalina? How many of you have done it? Yes, yeah, several. You know what I'm talking about. You're able to see all sorts of fish out there. We saw these big giant crabs that were walking across. Our, our instructor lady, she'd pick them up and she'd be like, yeah, here it is. And we'd be just like checking it out and loving it. We got to see the kelp that we were getting stuck in and, and kind of freaked out by. We were able to see all sorts. There was a seal that came and, uh, and swam right around a bunch of kids. At one point we saw a jellyfish kind of, you know, doing what... Is that pretty close? Not bad, yeah? What jellyfish do. And uh, all of this, but we would never discovered had we not been willing to go below the surface, to get out of our comfort zone. And I'm telling you, for some of these kids that were on our trip, they'd never been snorkeling before. Some of them have never been swimming before. These suits are, what's the word? Buoyant, thank you. They keep you from sinking. And so they were all able to go out there and just have a wonderful time moving out of our comfort zone, diving deeper into the ocean. Now, I just, what I want to talk about here today is that the same is true in our faith. And you can take that down anytime. Thank you. The church that will be moving forward in mission with God will be that community of faith that's made up of individuals who are doing away with a surface-level faith and diving deeply into the things of God, moving down into the deeper waters of who God is and what He has in mind for us. Listen, these will be the communities of faith 
that are declaring their dissatisfaction with this nominal, you know what nominal means? Just kind of in name only, kind of this culturally accepted Christianity. They'll be expressing their dissatisfaction with this nominally, culturally defined expressions of faith and who are moving out into unknown adventures with Christ. These communities will be those who have basically decided that they are done with a domesticated, safe, civil religion and who are discovering instead what it means to be true citizens of the kingdom of God. We, uh, when we think of God's kingdom, I, I, don't, I won't take a poll here this morning, but my fear, and uh, this is only a fear because this was my understanding of God's kingdom for a long time in my life, but when we think of God's kingdom, my, my, it's not a fear, but my thought is that most of us um, think of the kingdom of God as being equal with heaven. When you hear kingdom of God, you just think heaven, that place where we'll go when we die, or that place that will be kind of established when Jesus comes again. Then we will know the kingdom of God. In, um, in, in reality, you know, and you've read this, I've read it to you, Jesus came, and when He came, He came announcing that with His arrival, He was actually bringing the kingdom of God with Him. So the kingdom of God isn't necessarily heaven out there, or heaven what will be, the kingdom of God actually has already been initiated all around us with the coming of Jesus. It hasn't been completed. It's not in its fulfillment. But the kingdom of God is available and, and, and ready for us to be a part of it even right now. I was at a conference not long ago. The speaker was drilling down on this very idea, the idea of the kingdom of God. And he just said, he said this, what was the good news that Jesus preached? What was the gospel, actually? What was the gospel that Jesus preached? And it was so interesting in that context with a bunch of kind of pastor, church leader type people. It kind of sent them stammering and stuttering a little bit. Because when we think of the gospel, what do we normally think of? We think of Christ crucified. Christ raised from the dead. This is the good news that we think of as the gospel. And yet, Jesus didn't preach himself crucified, himself resurrected. He did that, but he didn't preach that. What Jesus preached, the good news that he preached, is that the kingdom of God is here in me. The kingdom of God is available. The kingdom of God is present. Now, it's, uh, it's important for us to, to hold on to this truth. The good news, again, that Jesus preached was that God's reign and rule over all the world was beginning to take shape in His presence and in His ministry. In fact, it's played out in what, how Jesus taught us to pray. And we did this right here this week on our first Wednesdays. Your, he taught us to pray this to the Father. Your kingdom come. 
right? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is exactly what he meant by, I'm bringing the kingdom. I'm bringing the possibility that God's will could be done on earth, even now, as it is in heaven. Now, um, the kingdom of God quite obviously has not come in its fullness yet. And we await the completion of it when Christ comes again. We await its consummation, its fulfillment when God truly sets everything right. But for now, we believe that the kingdom has come. And we believe that when we respond to God's invitation of grace, and when we respond to God's extension of this gift of salvation, what happens is not only are we forgiven of our sins and we punch our ticket for eternal life, but we enter even now into this this kingdom of God that is all around us. I almost titled this sermon this morning, Immigration Reform. And then I almost titled it, Pathway to Citizenship. But I figured that would kind of freak too many of you out when you looked at the sermon title and Pastor James is going political on us and who knows what else. But the reality is that we do need some immigration reform. And I'm not talking about between the United States and Mexico or anywhere else. I'm talking about in the church. We need to reform our understanding of what kingdom we belong to. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, your national citizenship is secondary. Whatever country your passport may say on it, is your secondary, that's your earthly citizenship. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And this changes the way that we look at the world. It changes the way that we look at life. It changes the way that we live. Now, lots of folks, we talk about the kingdom, and we talk about, well, Maybe you've heard this in some Sunday school classes or some small groups, or maybe you've even heard it out of my mouth. Sometimes we talk about, well, we're going to build the kingdom together. Or we're going to grow God's kingdom. Or another one we like to say, we're going to extend God's kingdom. That one sounds a little bit more spiritual. I don't know why, but we're going to extend God's kingdom. Now let me tell you, growing, building, extending, guess whose job that is? God's job. It's His kingdom. He'll grow it. It's God's kingdom. He'll extend it. It's God's kingdom. He'll grow it. Or build it. Whichever one I didn't say. Uh, God will take part, take care of that. The Bible, when it talks about the kingdom and when it talks about us, it it uses a couple of words. It says that we we will receive it and it says that we'll enter into it. That's about all we can do. We can receive the kingdom and we can enter into it. We can be a part of this kingdom that God is building and growing and extending even now that He'll continue to grow and build until the end of time. We can receive it and we can enter into it. But when we do that, there is perhaps one more idea that we can do and that's this idea that when we do that, when we receive and enter, it becomes our privilege as a church and as God's people to represent the kingdom in the world in which we live. Our privilege 
and our joy to represent the kingdom. As, 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 a fo- as an individual follower of Jesus, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, you are a representative of that kingdom to the world in which you live. We as the body of believers, as a community of faith, together we are representatives. We are ambassadors from the kingdom of God to the world in which we live. The kingdoms that are all around us. And we rep- Now, this is a, a wonderful word. You've got to represent, right? I mean, that's how we say it these days. Come on. You've got to represent. And we talk about representing all sorts of different things. Your family, your people, your, you know, your history, your club, your school. We are called to represent the kingdom of God. Great movie <clears throat> that, <clears throat> excuse me, that we've talked about a little bit called Of Gods and Men. If you haven't seen that movie, it actually may not be for you. It's got subtitles, it's in French, it's kind of a, I, I, just, I was going to plug it unashamedly, but actually you might not enjoy it, so you don't have to watch it. <clears throat> but I loved it, Of Gods and Men. Wonderful, interesting movie. It's about some some. French monks in a monastery in Algeria in a, in a setting where some Muslim extremist terrorists were kind of rising up in this little community and beginning to threaten and exert their power and kind of take over this, this, this setting. Much of the movie is, I don't watch it late at night if you do because you'll probably fall asleep because much of the movie has, there's very little dialogue actually. And it just, the, much of the movie is showing the monks just, listen, representing the kingdom of God. They are, they are signs as individuals. They, by their actions, they point towards what God is doing in the world even now by the way they interact and relate to one another. They are, they are a foretaste to the world around them of what God will ultimately do when he brings the world and the kingdom to its completion. They are agents of the kingdom because the movie just shows them feeding the the hungry and caring for the sick and giving away clothing and shoes. And and there's this one lady, it's a great scene. She comes and she needs shoes and she's got the full Muslim head wrap and kind of just this plain kind of dress. And then they show her walking away and she's got these really cool sneakers on. And uh, the monks have provided the shoes that they need. They're this, these amazing representatives of the kingdom of God in the midst of a very hostile setting. And, and the, kind of the climax of the movie really isn't the end, but earlier in the movie when all the monks are in this room together and they have been debating amongst themselves for weeks as to whether or not uh, the, the, the country wants to, to, them to leave, their homeland wants them to come back, they're not safe there. And they've been debating whether or not we're going to stay in this place or whether, or whether we're going to leave. And it, it, initially, they're divided. But ultimately, this scene in the movie is they go around the table with all the monks in that place and 201 ultimately say, how can we leave? How can we go? This is where God's called us, where God has placed us. We're going to be representatives of the kingdom in this place. Of gods and men, highly recommended. Um, 
uh, representations of the kingdom. It, it, their thought was, if we leave, what will, what will happen? And this has to be our thought as well as the church. We're here. We're representations of the kingdom in this place. God has placed us here. God has invited us to be on mission with Him here as signs, as the foretaste of what is to come of the instruments of the kingdom even in this place where we live. The quote that I read from from Stanley Hauerwas last week is again appropriate this week. Let me just read this to you. The role of the church is to cultivate a people who can risk being peaceful in a violent world. Who can risk being kind in a competitive society. Who can risk being faithful in an age of cynicism. Risk being gentle among those who admire the tough. Risk love when it may not be returned. Because we have the confidence that in Christ we have been reborn into a new reality. The kingdom of God. We've been reborn into the kingdom of God. We are, as the saying goes, we are not of this world. And so we can live with confidence in these ways that he's described. As those who have been born into a new reality, as citizens of another kingdom, we don't fear what this world can do to us or say about us. Instead, we follow Jesus. And if you still have your Bible open, you can look right there in Philippians 2, 5-11. We follow Jesus in this emptying, sacrificial, redemptive stride towards the world. Empowered by the Spirit, we move into the world around us, emptying ourselves listening to the lives of those around us, adventurously engaging the people of our world. Ron Benefield, he says it like this. He says, and he puts a little question mark after it in some of his writing, um, but he, he says, we are recklessly abandoned to the world. As people of the kingdom, as citizens of the kingdom, our home is there we can be recklessly abandoned, adventurously engaging, not protecting ourselves, not withdrawing into this secluded kind of Christian ghetto, this kind of just us and nobody else, but moving with God into His purposes for the world. Uh, Howard Wasson Williman, in another book, one of my favorite books, Resident Alien, they... uh, they, they say this, the world needs the church not to help the world run more smoothly. It's not what they need us for. Um, not to make the world a better and safer place for Christians to live. Rather, the world needs the church because without the church, the world doesn't know who it is. Hear this, the only way for the world to know that it is being redeemed is for the church to point to the Redeemer by being a redeemed people. (laughs) We're representing the redemption of God to a world desperately in need of redemption. Well, at the uh, close of one of the chapters in that book, um, Willimon and Howard share this story of a scene from a small southern town. Back there, they're both older now, so it was when one of them was a young pastor in the south. 
And uh, it was in the town in which they pastored. And this small southern town, if you can picture this, was in the throes of, of school desegregation. All right? So they were kind of, again, trying to segregate the schools and kind of are, are desegregate, bring, bring people of different uh, ethnic backgrounds back together into the school or together into these schools. And uh, they write that a white citizens group had been formed to fight the court's desegregation order. And it was a tense and frightening moment, they write. A, uh, a rough situation. So a meeting was called at the high school. And, uh, you know, this sounds like a movie. But the meeting was called at the high school. And the people all came together. And they were going to discuss their tactics for, uh, for fighting the racial integration of the schools. And in the packed auditorium, they say that speaker after speaker arose to come to the microphone to, to, to argue and to condemn the court's order and to urge the people to resist. Then they write, sometime well into the tension-filled evening, uh, into the packed auditorium came the pastor of the local Baptist church. And he came in with great dignity and with great presence. And he walked, and you can just imagine this, he walked to the front of the auditorium and he had a seat. And he just waited and he listened and he listened and then he rose to speak. And when the presider, the person in charge of the meeting, saw him speak, he rushed to him with a microphone, immediately yielded the microphone to the Baptist pastor to get his stamp of approval, I guess. Maybe he was expecting. But the pastor who had served in that church and community for decades spoke in deliberate and grave tones. These words. I am ashamed. I am ashamed. I have labored here for many years. I have baptized, preached to, and counseled many within this room. I might have thought that my preaching of the gospel had done some good, but tonight I think differently. I cannot speak to those who are not of my congregation, but to those of you who are, I can only say that I am hurt and ashamed of you, and might have expected more. He then left the podium and walked out of the auditorium. And you can imagine that the meeting resumed quite awkwardly. But one by one, most of the members of the Baptist church <laughs> quietly left the room until the auditorium was half empty and the meeting dribbled off into adjournment with no action taken. The schools integrated the next month without incident. The thing that strikes me about that story is not that this was a pastor necessarily, but this was a person an ordinary person 
who, yes, had labored for decades doing ordinary things like baptisms and marriages among ordinary people so that he could be a witness on that extraordinary night. This is what being a citizen of the kingdom is all about. Ordinary people living extraordinarily in ordinary situations. And as I read that story, I just thought to myself, what, what, what's the situation, what's the dynamic where I am being invited to be a representative of the kingdom? What relationship, what conversation, what interaction that I'm involved in is desperately in need of me to not just be another citizen of this place, but to represent the kingdom to which I've been so graciously invited. And I think I'd ask you the same question. Well, um, one of my favorite things about going around uh, the world on mission trips, and one of the, maybe the greatest things about living in the United States, this melting pot of various cultures, is the, the, the food. I mean, let's just be honest, right? I mean, we love the, uh, the international meals and the different types of, you go to Ethiopia, you'll eat one kind of food. You go to Mexico, you'll eat another. To even Guatemala, a, a different kind of food. Each Nation, each kingdom has their staple, their meal. And the kingdom of God is no different. We have our meal, the, the bread that symbolizes Christ's body that has been broken for us and the juice that symbolizes his blood that was shed. And uh, this morning as we receive these elements, I would just encourage each of us to take and to eat and to drink, and as we do, to be reminded of our home, if you're a follower of Christ today. If you're not, then I would invite you to think about what that might mean for your citizenship to rest in a, in a kingdom that is and will withstand any threat and surpass any limit. Let's pray together. God, thanks that uh, in Jesus you have initiated, you have set into motion this this kingdom that's all around us. Thank you that you've invited us to be born into an, an, a new reality, a new kingdom, a, a new way of seeing and being. Thank you that we don't have to settle for culturally accepted and in name only, just kind of going through the motions kind of faith. This civil religion that so many of us perhaps have kind of bought into or have been tempted to buy into 
or just been kind of sucked into by the world in which we live. Thank you that there is another option. Thank you that there is a deeper reality. Thank you that we can be born into this kingdom and, and live as its, its, its representatives, its agents, as, as signs of what you're doing in it and in the world, as a foretaste of what you will do, O oh God. We pray that we would be citizens of, citizens of the kingdom, truly living into that and looking constantly for those opportunities in the world around us that are, that are yearning, that are calling, that are longing for a representative of the kingdom to step in and represent. May the meal that we share even now, this kingdom meal, remind us of our citizenship. May the bread that we eat remind us of Christ's body that was broken for us, of His invitation to be a part of His family. May the juice that we drink remind us of His blood that was shed and and may it again remind us of the covenant that we have been blessed with, that we have been invited to be a part of this family of God as we're forgiven of our sins. May this meal again just settle in our hearts where our homeland truly is. And may you be glorified in it all. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name.